Africa, home to the most unique people in the world. A place that connects us through our customs, traditions, and even belief itself. Join Mukundi Mudao in Tribal Pursuit, a series that ventures deep into Africa to discover the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. Join the conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. It is 10.05 on Wednesday, the 27th of July, 2022. You're listening to 101.9 High FM and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao and this is Tribal Pursuit. You are very welcome. For the next 55, 45 minutes, I will be your best friend for the hour and I hope you join me for the ride and we will have fun together. I have a lot of fun stuff for you today. I got African update, I got animals for you, I got news, good news and bad news. I got African proverbs because I love bestowing some wisdom upon you. I got a great, great conversation with Benita Sussman later today and you want to stay tuned for that. I also have great music. It wouldn't be Mukundi without music now, would it? I have some beautiful music straight from Africa that I really think you'd enjoy. And if you do, let me know. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do so. You can e- you can SMS me on 34519. You can hit me up on Telegram 0618951019. You can email me on air at highfm.com. And if you're on Twitter, you can also tweet me at HiFM and I'll get to your messages. I'll say hi. I'll have a conversation with you and we will get this party on the road. We will have fun. And I hope you join with I hope you join me. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 Chai FM, I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao and this is Tribal Pursuit. You are very welcome to the show. At 13 minutes past 10, I hope you're enjoying yourself. That was Tati's Gopu by Bongo Muffin. Isn't that just a great song? It's what us kids would call the bop. It's a bop. <laughs> you bop to it. You just can't sit still while that is playing. And if you are sitting still, then maybe you and I can't be friends after all. But I do forgive you. Maybe the next song you will join the party and have fun with me, right? So, it is time for me to tell you who I'm talking about. Usually usually at this point of the show, I'll tell you who I'm talking about, give you a little information about the relevant community, and save the rest for my interview later. So, who am I talking about today? Nobody. What? No. <laughs> okay, okay, let me be serious. We are not talking about a specific community. Who I have today is a friend of the show, Mrs. Bonita Sussman, and she'll be telling me everything about her interaction and experience with all these different Jewish communities that she's been to. I loved I loved my conversation with John David because he told me he was there on a mission. He was there on, on a mission to take pictures of these people and also bring attention to the communities while Mrs. Benita Sussman has actually interacted with these communities with the intention to help them. They both both great intentions, but I feel I want to get the two different perspectives from somebody who just wanted to get attention brought to these people and somebody who actually just wanted to help these people as best they can. So I'll be talking to Ms. Bonita Sussman about that later. She's from an organization in New York called Kulanu and they interact with 
Jewish communities all around the world. So that will be fun. Stay tuned for that. She'll be giving me an experience and I will ask her if you have any questions for for her, then feel free to send them through. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is the telegram line. If you want to email us, you can do so on air at highfm.com. If you want to tweet me, you can freely do so as well. You can just at highfm. Looking at the messages, my dear friend Gail says, Good morning, dear friend. I'm looking forward to your gentle and very interesting show. Hey, friend. I just waved too. So, we are going to have fun. But before we do that, I'm just going to tell you what's happening in Africa. And I'm going to give you an update. I'm going to give you my stories about animals because you know Mukundi loves his animals. If you don't know, your friend Mukundi loves his animals. You don't have to be bored for the next couple of minutes. Your best friend has you. Unfortunately, we'll be back straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao, venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, Travel Pursuit is the name of the show and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao, top of the morning. It is 17 minutes past 10, can I just say, time is going by really fast. I feel like I started talking 5 minutes ago and yet 17 minutes have gone past. How? Johnny. <laughs> but it's funny, I was actually thinking the same thing when I woke up this morning. I said, oh my god, it's a Wednesday, meaning another Travel Pursuit episode. By the way, it's Wednesday, another Travel Pursuit episode. <laughs> and I just said it's crazy that just a week ago, it was a week ago, literally just, okay, I'm going to get your words together. It was Wednesday three days ago and yet it's been a week. That's how it felt because time is flying by so quick now that i don't enjoy doing travel pursuit this is the highlight of my day the highlight of my week and i love talking to my friend and i hope you love interacting with me as much as i love interacting with you because this gets this gives me a chance to get to do what i love and this get, gives me a chance to get to interact with you and know you better and you get to know me a little better it's just that time flies so quick i don't even notice that it's been seven days i, re I usually realize on tuesday and i say oh my god i have a show tomorrow so time flies 18 minutes past 10 allow me to give you what's happening in africa i'll say this i'll say this because i say it every week forget you're jewish for a minute and let me tell you what's happening i wouldn't be south african without even talking about this i can just feel the whole country judging me already if i don't talk about this i have to bring it up banyana banyana big round of applause for our girls for our women they have made us proud they have won if you don't know this by now then Allow me, allow me to tell you. Banyana Banyana have won the Women's AFCON trophy and they are only the third country to ever do that. Nigeria has just been dominating. They've just been dominating. I think they've won 10 of, 10 of them, which is crazy considering that it's a league with multiple, multiple countries playing in it. And yet, if you're the best, you're the best, right? But this year, the best is our very own team, Banyana Banyana. They have won and this is what their coach had to say. You know, this team is incredible, said their coach Desiree Ellis. These players are amazing. Before we even left for the tournament, we had a meeting and I asked them, what are your ambitions? Jermaine Siposeno, one of the players, said, we want to win AFCON. And I said to Jermaine, first the World Cup qualification. Now here's where the players out outsmarted the coach. She said, no coach, if you win AFCON, you qualify for the World Cup. So that was very self-confident of them and we were, we give them a very big round of applause and we're very happy for our women. Banyana Banyana, they have won, but it also goes to show the disparity between the men and the women in sports. Because this is a big deal, 
but we don't see we're not seeing it get as much traction everyone's been talking about this the huge disparity between the men and the women their pay and everything and i know sometimes it all comes down to the politics of it all and the fact that the men's league simply have more companies and sponsors and everything but even the government i feel like sometimes they're not even doing enough you know the the men are given incentive they're told we're talking about it on the morning mayhem with chad thomas earlier this morning and and i said the women were are probably not given as much incentive as the men the men are told if you win if you make it to the quarterfinals not the finals my friend the quarterfinals we will give you five hundred thousand rand cash right there on your table imagine 500,000 rand but the women have won and they only got 800,000 rand so if you're willing to give the men half a million rands for just simply qualifying if we can call it that what why don't our women deserve a bit more for actually winning you know just a light million each i don't think that would hurt (laughs) anyway moving on to my favorite part of the day the animals i told you about lions i told we've done this we've done this today i'm telling you about cheetahs but not only about cheetahs, cheetahs and vultures. Why? Because they go together. They go together. Predators and scavengers. You know, National Geographic. Stay tuned. Your friend Mukundi Mundao knows everything about animals. Four species of critically endangered vulture have returned to a park in southern Malawi, from which they disappeared more than 20 years ago. I love it. Already loving it. Great story. <laughs> we can end it there, right? <laughs> and their comeback is credited to the reintroduction of cheetahs, lions, and the carcasses the cats left behind. This is what conservationists say. Big words, big words. Every week there's a word that gets me. I don't know why. So in 2017, seven cheetahs were introduced to Liwanda National Park under a project run by African Parks and the Endangered Wildlife Trust, otherwise known as EWT. Two conservation groups working in partnership with Malawi's Department of National Parks and Wildlife. Within days, and the cheetahs still in their acclimatization. (sighs) Man, English. Don't fight with me, please. Let's do this. Within seven days, and with the cheetah still in the acclimatization pen of Boma, the vultures showed up. So this is good. Reintroduction of species is really good. We've seen this in the States as well where they dropped wolves. They literally just dropped wolves in a national park to control the moose population. So it's really good because it can be used for population control or or just conservation of a certain species. Because sometimes there are invader species, there are aliens, and they need to be dealt with unfortunately so that's why they bring more predators in sometimes and for cases like this where we need one species that relies on the other because vultures can't kill their own prey they gotta rely on the carcasses left by the other predators and that is very beautiful i love it the cheetah reintroduction project has been successful the population within the 548,000 hectare or 1.3 million acre if you're into that the park reached 42 at the last count from 742 that is really beautiful according to a recent study a second generation of cheetahs are now breeding and raising cubs so you see two species all all growing i love it but vultures and che- vultures cheetahs and lions disappeared from Luanda and a number of other protected areas in malawi in the wake of a poaching crisis in the 1990s and early 2000s here we go again with the poachers i don't like them am i the only one who feels that way why are you killing the animals probably for game even okay not game meat just for game as in hunting for sport but you can hunt deer man you know at 10:23, that's all i had for you i started off with some good news today i didn't give you any bad news well except for the poachers killing animals but we don't like them so we don't talk about them that much anyway congratulations to our banyana banyana women 
and congratulations to you know the malawi park for getting all the cheetahs back i really love hearing a good news story so music i've been talking for a while haven't i i'm sorry friend this is Tribal Pursuit 101.9. Hi FM, I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to do so. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is the Telegram line. If you want to email me, you can do so on air at highfm.com. And if you want to tweet me, you can just at highfm. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM. This is Travel Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Top of the morning. It is 28 minutes past 10. I hope you're enjoying yourself. I hope you're enjoying the music. And if you are, feel free to let me know. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is the telegram line. If you want to email me, you can do so on air at highfm.com. And if you want to tweet me, just at highfm, and we'll get to your message. <laughs> that was Zahara with, once again, Ka Bengingena Mama. I think that was much better than the first attempt, right? Craig, how you doing, by the way? Thumbs up. Man of man of few words. Craig is the studio engineer we have here. Can't do this alone. We need somebody to press the buttons, right? It is time for me to bestow some wisdom upon you. So gather around. It is time for our African proverb. Today, our proverb of the day is, If you are filled with pride, you will have no room for wisdom. Man, people are smart. If you're filled with pride, you have no room for wisdom. The meaning... Now, let me read this because I'm not smart enough to come up with something like this. This is too slick for my liking. Wisdom and humility go hand in hand, just as pride and foolishness foolishness walk together. When you're proud of you, when you're proud, you will make any foolish mis- many foolish mistakes. But the more humble you are, the wiser you will be. This because if you're humble, you will be open counsel and correction. When you're proud, you think you know it all, and so you take no advice or admonishment from anyone. And that is how that is how come proud people make foolish decisions and consequently destroy their lives. Wisdom and pride are mutually exclusive. That is to say, one cannot be conceited and wise at the same time. A person can be intelligent and conceited, but not conceited and wise. In fact, wisdom and pride are inversely proportional, meaning the more proud you are, the less wisdom you have. And if you are full of pride, then it stands to reason that there is certainly no room left in you for wisdom. Pride is destructive. Are you proud? Don't even swallow your pride. Spit it out. Be humble. That was our our African proverb for the day. If you're filled with pride, then you will have no room for wisdom. I hope I was able to change your life today. And I'll be talking to Bonita Sussman next in a few minutes. She is from Kulanwe, an organization that interacts with Jewish communities and and helps them out. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 High FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao top of the morning. With me today is Bonita Sussman. She's from Kulanu, an organization that helps and interacts with Jewish communities all around the world. But today I managed to get her to talk about the ones in Africa. So, Ms. Sussman, without wasting any time, could you please tell me your engagement and experience with some of these African Jewish communities that you've been to? Okay, so here's, here's my story. I'm a volunteer with Kulanu a group that deals with emerging, returning, and isolated Jewish communities around the world. We're in 33 countries now, and we have multiple communities in Africa, in different countries, and sometimes within a country, there are multiple groups. 
So I know that you, you're talking about Uganda and the Lemba, say in Zimbabwe and South Africa. Are you interested in like Nigeria or Cameroon or Cote d'Ivoire or Gabon? Because I visited all those places with my husband, Rabbi Gerald Sussman, and I'm willing to talk about any of my, any of those communities and others. Oh yes, and I visited Nigeria as well. Oh yes, that would be lovely. I wanna hear everything. <laughs> okay, so we visited Cameroon a long time ago. The way I make connections with these communities is they find Kulanu. And many of them have been practicing Judaism for many, many years, and they learned it online. Many of them come from Christian backgrounds of different sorts, evangelical movements. We have one leader in Cameroon who was a bishop, a worldwide bishop. He had two or 3,000 people in his church. He, he, um, he traveled the world, and one day he woke up and said, and had a dream and said, no, he wants to only pray to the God of Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob. And he left Christianity and with him, his congregation sort of disappeared. And he self-taught and he's still the leader of this, of a small community there. The original community that I went to visit started out also as evangelical. They were actually a breakaway from the bishop's community. And they also learnt online and there they were in a very, what I would call very far away village from Yaoundé, the capital. They, we had to go like an hour and a half in a van and then take a little moped to the village in Sa where they resided. There wasn't very much running water. There were outhouses people chopped the wood to cook the food. The women of the community spent Shabbat preparing for us, catching the fish, grinding the, um, to make the oil from the coconuts. And for American people, this is certainly very unusual. We go to the store and we buy the stuff, <laughs> but their dedication, their knowledge was absolutely off the charts. They um, had prayer services that were three hours long and um, everyone was very knowledgeable and we were greeted like we became part of their family. That was the first African wow. community that we attended. Now there are three or four groups in Cameroon that are practicing Judaism. Wow. So from this one guy alone, other neighboring communities managed to band together and form their own little Jewish groups and communities. Well, I wouldn't exactly say that. Some The bishop, I, I don't know if I should say names or not, but the bishop <laughs> that was once there I, I, for protection, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to give names. So the bishop actually was the first leader of these groups and some of them broke away from him. There are other groups that find it on their own. The big piece of information here is that the internet made a big difference in Africa. And at one point, I always say what the translation of the Christian Bible did for Christianity 
the internet did for Judaism, because if you want to learn about Shabbat, or you want to learn about being kosher, or you want to learn about Jewish holidays, or you want to learn Jewish texts, or you want to learn how to pray from a Jewish siddur, you can Google it. You can Google it. Everything is on the internet, just the whole world. Yes. And I have a funny story. We also visited Madagascar. I forgot to say that one, where we did over, I brought a group of rabbis, independent of Kulanu, but Kulanu kind of organized it, where we did over 120 conversions a bunch of years ago. And the funny thing with the internet is on Shabbat, evening they were singing the psalm a woman of prey a woman of valor who can find in hebrew what's called eshet chayil and they only sang the first eight lines and i said well how come you're not singing the whole thing and they said because online we could only find eight lines <laughs> wow <laughs> okay so the internet played a very huge role in the development of judaism across africa and at this point, you could get any kind of Jewish book, Maimonides. I know people ask me for Tanya, the Lubavitch Rebbe, the Lubavitch textbook, so to speak, guidebook. They learn everything online. So having said that, after Cameroon, we went to Gabon, which was an emerging Jewish community, but it was very basic. This was also run by a minister who had a thousand people and had a dream that said, do not pray to the false God anymore. And he only wanted to go to pray to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and he knew nothing about it, actually. And um, he also lost his congregation. He lost his livelihood. People dropped away from him when he changed Sunday worship to Shabbat. Mm-hmm. People said, you're not Christian anymore. What's wrong with you? And um, they all lost faith with him. And he was left with about 60 people. And uh, he is being taught by people in Cameroon who really have very strong Jewish education. Also, you should know that one of the leaders of the community, not the bishops, but the one that I visited in Sa. He went to rabbinical school in Israel. So there, there are also people around Africa who are training to be rabbis in different ways so they could learn their, you know, they could lead their communities. Hmm. So we went to Gabon and they changed, I said they changed Friday practice, they changed their worship from Sunday to Shabbat. And uh, they're in a continual Jewish growth experience. After Gabon, we went to Cote d'Ivoire, and we should be returning to Cote d'Ivoire in December. And there we also brought a a few rabbis to do conversions there. We did about 60-something conversions. I don't remember the number. Speaking of conversions, sorry sorry to cut you off. Speaking of conversion, are there people that are sometimes hesitant to convert when you approach them? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes, there are the Lemba have a big internal debate there where they say we're Jews. How can you tell us we need conversion? Oh, uh, yes, it's a big yes. debate. See, that's why I asked because I actually talked to Modric Maricero of the Lemba about a month and a half ago, and he told me the exact same thing. He said, "Why should we convert if we're already Jewish?" Right, right. So there is a big issue there. I mean, the 
the broader issue is accepted and acceptance into the worldwide Jewish community. And there's a debate about that. And I totally understand the debate. It's not only with the Lemba, it's within the Igbo in Nigeria, uh, who claim they are from the tribe of God. And people that feel they have Israelite origins say we're just as Jewish as anybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, we don't need conversion. So there are groups that want conversion. There are groups that don't want conversion. In the Kulanu world, there were 20 communities that are waiting to be converted. But I want to say it's not the vast majority of communities there that we deal with. Yeah. So after, so in Cote d'Ivoire, they wanted conversion. There is an Israeli person who is an expat from Israel. And he really kind of leads the place. What was very interesting about Cote d'Ivoire was that it came out of the Kabbalah Center movement that was in Africa. And I believe Philip Berg, over 25 years ago, set up through the International Kabbalah Center, five centers in Africa. The one in Cote d'Ivoire, it was open to everybody. It had no Jewish you know, it had no Jewish demands or anything like anybody could go was open to the public and a group from from that center in Abidjan said in order to really get into Kabbalah, you have to learn Judaism. So they formed a, a community and there are several groups they've been changing, the groups have been merging and leaving each other. So it's kind of fluid. Right now, there's a pretty strong group there. There's also a very, very small number of um, Ivorians who are, call themselves Dan, I mean, no, there are Danites in Cote d'Ivoire, and they claim their origin is from the tribe of Dan. Mm -hmm. And a very uh, two, double handful, you know, four handfuls of people say they want to return to Judaism because of their origin from the tribe of Dan and that Jacob was really their father being part of the tribe. Mm. Okay. So you have different origins. They're coming in Africa. The communities come from different places. Um, they have different, I mean, they have different origins, right? Some come from Christianity that don't claim Jewish origin. Some claim Jewish origin from Israelite, you know, from Israelite origins. I know the prince, I know I'm jumping around, but the prince in Madagascar currently, while he's not a practicing Jewish person, um, he still remains a Christian. He said all of Madagascar comes from Israelite origins, and he bases it on some archaeological and linguistic and historical information where the Malagasy people think or believe, I don't want to say think, but believe they are of Israelite origin. And then you have those claiming tribal origin, like the Igbo and the Danites. And um, 
This is Trouble Pursuit on 101.9 High FM. I'm your dear friend Mukundi Modao, and I'm talking to Benita Sussman today, based in New York, and she's from an organization called Kulanu. They interact with different Jewish communities around the world, and they help them as best they can. Today, however, we're focusing on the ones in Africa. So, Miss Sussman, I've talked to a few people, and some of them share my sentiments, some of them don't. Some say... And this is exactly how I feel as well. They say that whether or not these people are telling the truth is not up to us to decide. It's not our job to decide whether they're telling the truth about being uh, from a certain tribe, being descendants of Israel. As long as these people say that they're Jewish, it's our job and responsibility to help them as best we can. Do you share the same view? Absolutely, 100%. A hundred percent. We need Jewish people. And I always say after the Holocaust and the destruction of Jewish communities in Northern Africa, Mm. um, the Jewish people need to rebuild itself. And it's the first time in Jewish history that there are groups that are clamoring to become part of the Jewish world. And the established Jewish community doesn't exactly know how to deal with this because they're used to having people run away, you know, assimilating. They're not used to having people come and bang on the doors and say, we want to be part of your history. It is our history too. So it's an evolving conversation within, I would say, the established Jewish world, but uh, absolutely no one in Kulanu, we accept everybody. No one will question your origin. You know, if you say that your origin, I mean, I mean, I believe I'm of Jewish origin, but I don't know if I can prove that. (laughs) I get you. As long as you say you're Jewish and that's what you believe, then I'll accept you for what you say you are. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think I can prove my Jewish origin. And the whole genetic thing is kind of up in the air as well. True. Because, you know, when they do the genetic testing thing, which is also a big debate within, uh, I know, the Ebos and the Lemba, we have the Yemenite community in Israel or the Ethiopians don't necessarily have Jewish genetic backgrounds. So that doesn't make, if you have a Jewish gene doesn't make you Jewish. What makes you Jewish is that you practice and live a Jewish life and, and you know, you have Jewish holidays and life cycle events and those mm-hmm. become yours. Mm-hmm. I mean, what makes a Christian? Exactly. Life cycle events, right? What makes you a Hindu? True, true. Because I was talking to a member of the Ethiopian Jewish community a couple of weeks ago and she was saying that, Growing up in Ethiopia, they didn't even know that there were other Jewish people around. You know, they didn't even know that there were other Jewish people outside of Ethiopia. And when they did, and they finally moved to Israel as the whole community, it was very weird at first seeing people like that. But it just goes to show you can't really prove that this person is Jewish and this other person isn't. Yeah, yes. Right, so it's not genetics that determine your Jewishness, like, I mean, and this might be an aside, but in America, we have like big Jewish families that had big Jewish names and they're Episcopalians now. So 
So they might have Jewish genetics, but they're actually practicing Christians. You know, so you can't, um, the genetic piece is a very murky piece in people's identity a chip, like how, how do people form what their identity is? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I understand. I understand. And how was it being with these communities and interacting with them and actually getting there? I know that some of them, if not most of them, actually approached you as an organization, but some of these communities are very secretive and boxed in, mostly because of their history or their placing the country or politics. It could be a bunch of factors. How was it actually being on the ground with these people and communicating with them? It's very interesting because I never encountered that problem because sometimes Kulanu people who visit and someone like me and my husband, we're the first ones to respond to them in a meaningful and respectful way. Mm. So they're only opening the doors for us. So I, I have not encountered any resistance to my presence there um, at all. I mean, they were just welcoming. I became part of people's families by visiting <laughs> them. You know what I mean? I, I, I couldn't imagine a more embracing group than the communities that I visited. Mm. I see, I see. Because it's funny, I was actually talking to John and David a few weeks ago. And he said the same thing. He said that while he was there, he felt like a member of the community, he met some of the most welcoming, some of the friendliest people ever while he was there. And he never encountered a single problem. Very friendly people. Yeah, like the friendliest, the, the most loving. I, no, I, I just didn't find any resistance or or difficulty in breaking into the group they are they all right away invite us to come we stay in their houses the hospitality is like really exemplary and uh their love of judaism is beyond expectations of anything you could find you know in even in america it's difficult to find the dedication and the self-sacrifice of these communities that only want to be part of the Jewish people. You're listening to Tribal Pursuit on 101.9 High FM. I'm your dear friend, Mukundi Mudao, and today I'm talking to Mrs. Benita Sussman of Kulanu. That is an organization based in New York that helps and supports Jewish communities all around the world. But today, we're focusing on the ones in Africa. So, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Mrs. Sussman, getting there as somebody who was born and raised in New York, what was some of the things that shook you as soon as you got there as in culture shock, the way they practice, be it the way they practice Judaism, just the way of living? What was the biggest culture shock for you when you got there? The first shock was when my husband and I went to India and we saw, you know, the extreme poverty and the cultural differences there. So when we came to Africa and we saw poverty there, Mm. it wasn't the shock. The truth is that not all the communities that we visited in Africa are poor. Okay. Mm. And so that may have been more of a shock (laughs) than um, certainly the community that we visited in Abidjan was not a poor community. 
So that was more, in a way, surprising of the economic development in certain pockets in Africa mm-hmm. that we saw and the myth like in America that everything in Africa is poor, you know, is just not true. Or um, the people that we met, many were very, very, very educated. And so, you know, I think that answers your question. I think if there was a, a, a surprise, that was it. Well, I guess it was more of a pleasant surprise then. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, yes. and you know, I, I mean, I, I could add that, the see, Africa, at least the places I've been to, were because of European colonization, they had a, a, I don't want to say they had a European flavor, but they had a familiar flavor. It wasn't like culturally so different, except in like in tourist places that would have wanted, you know, us to see native art or some kind of thing like that, where Indian culture was totally different, was totally not familiar. African culture was familiar on many on different levels. I mean, there were differences, but, you know, not not shocking. Not a shock, right. So you brought this up in passing earlier on. I'd just like to know a bit more. How exactly do you help these communities besides just bringing them scripts and books? Okay, so this is an interesting point because I just had a meeting and I talked about it. That over the, I don't know, I'm involved 12, 15 years, I've watched Jewish development. I've watched the communities develop Jewishly. So in the beginning, they may ask for prayer books or they may ask for a teacher. Now they're asking for building materials of their synagogue, synagogue furniture. And now they're educated enough that they need a Torah. And so Kulanu gets donations of Torah and um, to communities that are ready, that can store it, that can read it on Shabbat and we give it to them. So that the level of request and need has changed over the years. And Mm. now we're seeing more synagogues being built, um, more, yeah, more demands for furniture in the synagogues that we have. There's now a few guest houses that are in the, I know in Ghana, there's a guest house. In Kenya, there's a guest house. In Uganda, there's a guest house. So there are now guest houses for people to stay where there's kosher food. They could get kosher food if they want. We're planning a conference where we will bring in some kosher slaughterers from from Israel to teach kosher slaughtering because some of the communities won't eat meat. If, if they don't eat halal, some only eat fish, the scales and fins. So some haven't had chicken or meat in years. Because no one in the community knows how to slaughter kosher. Kosher. Wow. So what you're saying and what you've seen is that the communities have now grown from a place where they just wanted to learn to a point where now they've learned enough and all they need is resources. I would say that's that's generally true. Every so often we get a new community that needs a teacher, that needs, that we do Zoom classes. Like there's a Zoom class where that meets every Wednesday 
where uh, I know Modric attends, where they're learning Maimonides, but they have people from Pakistan and people from all over Africa coming to this class. Wow. So they're doing advanced Jewish study online. So Kulanu provides the venue and in, in, poor, in poorer communities will supply solar panels for electricity so they can, and we give, uh, we have a technology fund that will give computers, uh, laptops and cell phones and solar panels if needed to charge uh, their equipment so that they can go online and gain access to Jewish resources. Okay, okay, I understand. With that being said, unfortunately, we are out of time. Ms. Sussman, I'd like to thank you once again for taking the time out of your day to talk to us today. And we hope to talk to you again some other time in the future. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. That was Bonita Sussman from Kulanu, an organization that helps and interacts with Jewish communities from around the world. But today we're talking about the ones in Africa. This is Tribal Pursuit on 101.9 High FM. I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Trouble Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudao. Unfortunately, we've reached the end of our show, the end of our program, and I'll be with you in seven days, seven short days. Come on, you can do it, be strong. Unfortunately, I will miss you. At 10.59, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Ms. Benita Sussman for talking to us and making all of this possible. And I want to thank Craig the Man for pressing all the big red buttons. I hope you had fun. If you did, I'll see you next week. If you didn't, tune in next week again. I bet I can change your mind. But from yourself, from your friend Mukundi Mudao, and from everyone at High FM, until next week, enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>